Bring it in. Read option back here after an eventful weekend of football. NFL upsets all over the place. College games. Great Saturday of college games. Uh, a new top 25 that came out that may or may not be featuring the James Madison University Dukes at number 25. So uh, I'll, I'll just come out and say this has been one of the better sports weekends Myself personally and Philadelphia has had for a long time. Uh, I am solo today. Scotty's on vacation, well earned, and uh, our man Vito is fighting a bit of a bug. So hopefully on Thursday when we record, we'll have Vito in to get you guys ready for next weekend. But for today, short pod, we're going to run through the games uh, from Sunday. But yeah, I just got to say, like, I you know, I joke about not always talking about my teams as much trying not to be a homer on this pod but but the weekend that i just had um in terms of sports fandom i mean sunday was pretty absurd man i mean you had the phillies come back on friday afternoon and somehow win that game down two nothing in the spot at the top of the ninth rattle off six on six runs top of the ninth to move on uh to go on to uh in the series then they Clinch the series, another shout out, uh, shutout, two runs given up in two games against the St. Louis Cardinals. Playoff baseball being back in Philadelphia is amazing. It's been 11 years. I was doing the doing the math. I remember standing in my kitchen watching the last at bat that I'd seen of the Phillies. It was Ryan Howard in the box, hit a ground ball to the right side, tries to leg it out, tears his Achilles, and that was like the official end of that era, which obviously brought a World Series to the Phillies in 2008. And so to go from that and then the the decade sense of just really bad baseball in Philly to now have the Phillies back in October, even if they don't make a super long run. I mean, who knows? It's the beauty of playoff baseball. You know, the Braves last year, right? They had the lowest win total of any of the division winners, and yet they went on to win the World Series. So if you get hot at the right time, you have the right team together, you get ready in October, anything can happen uh, as the Phillies are going to get set to take on the Braves this week. But just un- unreal having that kick off the weekend. Uh, JMU with a huge win on Saturday. And then the Eagles continuing um, their undefeated streak here, moving on to 5-0. and And then waking up to the news on Sunday and seeing that, yeah, you know, not waking up to, but the news comes out Sunday morning. JMU's in the top 25. Just un- unreal stuff um, for me in terms of sports fandoms. It's as good as you can feel about a sports weekend uh, without one of your teams like winning a playoff game or winning a championship, like for just regular season stuff. And obviously the Phillies didn't win playoff games, but still just unreal culmination. There's hype around the Sixers. Life's good for your boy here. Uh, but I promise this pod will not only be about Philly and JMU as much as uh, I, I could spend an entire hour talking about that. There's a lot to get to, uh, and we're going to get through it all. Uh, we will mix in some playoff baseball talk here over the next uh, few weeks as the playoffs progress. It, it's worth talking about. The new format worked out, I think, really, really well. Three games, three days, best two out of three, right, to move on from the wild card. You're giving them a chance. It's not the one-game playoff anymore. And uh, we saw the Mets get turned away after their incredible season, which um, is just – it's it's sad but really funny, <laughs> You know, like I, I do feel for Mets fans, even though I don't like Mets fans. I mean, that's just brutal for that fan base and everything they've gone through. Um, so we'll we'll keep tabs on the playoffs, obviously, as things go along. But we're in the peak right now of football season, right? We're just building up here five weeks in. And, uh, of course, this whole week started with one of the worst football games you'll ever watch on um, Thursday night with the Indianapolis Colts and the Broncos 12 to 9 in a game that went to overtime just absolutely terrible football. And I, I'm not here to like toot my own horn. And again, Vito, Vito has been super busy. So we haven't heard from him in a little while, but the Russell Wilson thing is a problem. You know, I think early on everyone wanted to jump down Hackett's throat and I get it right. He made a bunch of mistakes when it came to the timeouts and the clock management and the challenges and some of the small stuff where you're like, is this guy really set to be a head coach? Very few coaches go in and do what Brian Dayball is doing, right? Brian Dayball coming in, and, and taking that Giants team and just making the right things, the right decisions to win 
big games to keep your team alive, even in games that clearly the Giants aren't more talented than the Packers or than Tennessee or than a lot of these teams, but they they made the right decisions down the line. They're well coached. Uh, and that impact was felt right away. And I said that, I think, after week two, right? Nathaniel Hackett's going to struggle a little bit. Most coaches do. Not, it's very rare to have the day balls who come in and immediately it just makes sense. With Russ, no one wanted to put the blame on Russ right, right away, right? It was Hackett. It was the game management. It was whatever. Everyone roasted him for the not throwing the quick slant to KJ Hamler that was wide open because it was the exact same play as the Super Bowl interception when he was with when Russ was with Seattle and the Malcolm Butler play and everyone knows that right so of course he gets roasted having Richard Sherman on the post game uh, booth there too for the Amazon broadcast like that doesn't help either Russ is just missing things Russ just hasn't been good the deep ball is still there the deep ball looks awesome Carson Wentz can still throw the deep ball. Right For as bad as Carson Wentz has been, Carson Wentz threw multiple beautiful deep touchdowns this year, including a couple um, this past weekend in their effort against Tennessee. So just because Russ can still throw the deep ball and still connects a few times a game, I'm not going to sit here and all of a sudden say, oh, look, look, no, he's still good. He can still throw it deep. There's something not clicking for Russ right now. And that's not to say it's going to be this way forever. But I feel like I was pretty early on the train on the, on the, Hey, Russ, this is new. I talked about this last year. Like I, I think part of this thing with Russell Wilson is not just a new system. It's not just talent around him. You know, I think the wide receiver room he had in, in um, Seattle is honestly at least comparable if uh, is better in a lot of ways, but with the full complement of wide receivers, if Tim Patrick doesn't get hurt, then I would say Denver's is at least as good. So you can't really blame the skill position, guys. The offensive line, we know, damn sure can't be worse than the ones he had in Seattle. And you look at what Geno Smith's doing, too, in the same offense. And Geno Smith is playing really good football. So there's clearly not something connecting with Russ right now in Denver. I don't know if it's the new situation, the added pressure. Um, maybe he and Hackett just don't get along. Maybe there's just a, a bad work relationship there. I, a lot of stuff we're not going to be privy to, but something isn't right. And I have said for, you know, going on two years now that this decline in Russ started three seasons ago, right? The let Russ cook movement where the first four games, he looked unbelievable. He was all world. Everyone's talking about Russ is going to be runaway MVP, all that stuff. And then as the season went on, they continued to let him cook. Teams figured it out pretty quick and he got bad. Really bad, so much so that they went away from letting him cook and instead went back to the run-heavy offense that we know that Pete Carroll loves to loves to run. And now we're here. The, the Broncos lose Javante Williams, which sucks. So you got Melvin Gordon and, you know, whatever other third-string running back that they have on their roster. You still have decent cat pass catchers. There's guys that are open. Russ just isn't hitting them. And, you know, look, once – can happen two games whatever three games it's a bad stretch you know but how many games do we have to get into this before we just look at it for what it is which is that Russ just may not be that guy anymore right because when you really think about it there was about a four-year stretch where Russ was like top five quarterback in the and the and the you know in the league kind of conversation where he was really really good the Super Bowl win wasn't because of Russ. That defense was on another level. They had Marshawn Lynch. They made everything easy for Russ, who was a second-year starting quarterback and didn't really have a super firm grasp on the offense and, and wasn't this all-world beater, but he did enough and he didn't make mistakes. And for as much as I enjoy and have enjoyed Russ throughout the prime of his career, you know, you think of the you know late 2010s when the deep balls were always hitting. Um, and you had the Doug Baldwins and, and the younger you know, Tyler Lockett and these little speed guys who were just really good route runners. Russ legitimately was one of the best players. He was one of the best players in the NFL. But that stretch really only lasted about three or four years. So as much as we can look back on the, you know, the overtime touchdown pass and the comeback against the Packers in the playoffs and, and say, look, there were times where Russ really was one of these top guys. It wasn't for an insanely long stretch. You know, he did it for four or five years, which is really, really impressive. The dude's probably going to be a Hall of Famer one day. 
but it's not there anymore. So how much of the Russ thing is us having hyped him up over his year? We've called him a Super Bowl winner for all these years. And yes, he's had big moments and big playoff games, and he's looked awesome a bunch of different times, but it's been a while now. So I think we need, we kind of need to stop with all the, you know, oh, this is this is Hackett or this is the album, whatever. No, it's just this is just Russ. And I've kind of been barking up this tree for a while that I think Russ just may not be that good. Right? I, I think Russ needs help around him. There are very, very few core, and that's not a diss either. Like there are very, very few players in the history of the NFL who can do it without a bunch of pieces around them or can do it without a good defense. You know, and you can make the argument that like Aaron Rodgers, even to some degree, needs people around him. We saw that on we've seen that this year play out without Devontae Adams. The offense hasn't looked great. And they lose a game in London to the Giants, which I mean, they were what eight point favorites in that game, and they lost that game to the Giants. Again, I know it's Alan Lazard and Christian Watson and Antonio Dobbs and whatever's remaining of Randall Cobb, but it's still not looking great. So saying that Russ needs people around him, Rodgers has had people around him, and he still hasn't won more than one Super Bowl. And he's yeah, he's been the best player, but he's one of the few that can still be really, really productive and scare the shit out of you with no one around him. And I just I don't think Russ is one of those guys. When he was more mobile, when he was more willing to run, he made plays with his legs, he would throw on the run. That's when he's looked his best this year, when he's when things have broken down and he's taken advantage. Whatever's working, whatever's happening, whether it's not him see, him not seeing things or Hackett's play calling, I mean, it, it could be both things, right? Like, both things can be true. Russ isn't seeing it. The Colts are a bad football team. They're mediocre on defense. The offensive line is really bad. I mean, Quentin Nelson got rocked on a blitz by a linebacker in a way that I didn't think he was capable of getting rocked. They had no Jonathan Taylor in this game. The Colts, not a good team. And if Russell Wilson is supposed to be what people make him out to be, the $240 million guy, whatever they just gave him, then he needs to be good enough to beat the Colts even without Javante Williams. If Javante Williams is is the key to their success, which I said a few weeks ago, I think he was because he was the best player on that offense. That says a lot about where this team's at. And I think it says a lot about what you can put on Russell Wilson's plate and expect him to still be good. And that's not even getting into all the weird social media stuff with him. I, the dude's, the dude's a bit of a head case. If we're just being honest. Um, Touched a little bit on the Packers-Giants game there. Uh, Rodgers, again, this offense is clearly not not really working. I don't know. It, I've heard a few things, again, about the play calling. Credit to the Giants. I mean, there were stretches in that game where the Packers were able to run the ball effectively. A.J. Dillon was a non-factor. So, really, it was whatever you got out of Aaron Jones. Um, I, there's a few teams now in the NFC that I'm starting to worry about in terms of Who's actually good? Because I don't know who's actually good in the NFL right now. And I'm I'm trying to make sure that it's not bias related, but I still don't believe that the Giants and Cowboys are that good. I think I think the Cowboys defense is really, really good. I'm having I'm struggling to figure out how the offense is is moving the ball in a way in the way that it is. Um I still don't think that they've played anyone that great. I mean, this was their first big test, right? Playing um I mean, they played Tampa Bay and they got smoked by Tampa Bay, but they played the Rams, who three, four, almost four weeks in a row right now, the opposing team has been able to move the ball against them. Uh, the defense does not look to be the same as what it was. And offensively, I don't know, the Rams look to be on a whole nother level. So I'm having a hard time figuring out whether the, the Giants are good, whether the Cowboys are good. I look at the, the Giants roster and Daniel Jones, and Saquon's been awesome. I mean, and that's the, the nicest compliment, but no wide receivers. The running wildcat plays that are getting 50 yards. Like, I, there's a weird energy going on with that Giants team. I don't think it's going to last throughout the whole season, but credit where credit's due because at this point, the Cowboys just beat the Rams, the Giants just beat the Packers, and nobody going into these, game, these games on Sunday thought that either one of those were going to end up happening. And yet, here we are, right? Daniel Jones. Tough, tough dude, man. I'll give him that. I mean, the way he was bleeding out of his fucking wrist to come back and win that game. Um, it says a lot about the fortitude of that team. I I just 
I can't get there with either one of the teams yet. And Sunday night is going to be really telling for the Cowboys how they go up against the Eagles. Now it's NFC East, right? So who knows weird shit happens. I'm already on record as saying, I think the Eagles are probably going to lose that game because it feels like a, a it feels like a game that a team would lose. Not just the Eagles, like any team that's undefeated going up against a home rival on Sunday night, right on national television after starting off five now, just feels like it. So the NFC East is ripping off wins left and right. I believe they're sixteen and four on the season, with three of those losses being against one another. Um, the Cowboys beat Washington. The Eagles beat Washington. The Cowboys beat uh, the Giants, which is where their one loss, and then Tampa Bay. So the only there's only been one team not in the NFC East to beat an NFC East team this year, which is pretty wild. Um, because again, no one thought that coming into the season. Five and zero Eagles, four and one Giants, four and one Cowboys. The Giants, they're just a really well coached football team. Like I don't know what else I can say. They, they win these games ugly. They do it without a quarterback at times. The defense is playing tough when it needs to win, when it needs to play tough, and they've found out ways to win games. So um, credit to the New York Giants, big win. And the Packers, you know, I'm starting to get a little worried. The defense hasn't looked as good as I thought it was going to coming into this year. I think losing Zedaria Smith ended up being a pretty big loss for them. Um, and we'll see what ends up happening with the rest of the squad. Um, the offensive line has been awesome. They haven't been able to run the ball as effectively as I thought. And it turns out when your team loses Devontae Adams, that, that might be a pretty big loss for your team, as we've learned. I still believe in them to turn things around. Um, but I think that, you know, 14-win territory, 13 wins, being at the top of their – I still think they'll win the division. Um, but they have some problems. And this is an interesting test, too, because the Packers have won a ton of games in the regular season over the last few years since Matt Rules – or since Matt LaFleur has been there. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. That's going to be an interesting one to continue to, to track because you still have Aaron Rodgers. You still have a pretty good defense. You still have Aaron Jones and A.J. Jones, which is a great backfield. And you still have some weapons, but it's another team offensively that just doesn't really quite look like they're clicking and gelling all the way. Uh, we'll move on after that. Steelers-Bills. This is an ass-whooping. Good old-fashioned, flat-out ass-whooping. Uh, I, I put... I picked Pittsburgh on the 14 points, uh, which proved to be a very dumb decision on my part. Uh, this game was over on third and 10 with 14 minutes left in the first quarter uh, when the Bills were on their own two-yard line and Gabe Davis broke off uh, an unbelievable 98-yard touchdown catch and then goes up two drives later and does it one-handed on a 50-yard touchdown catch. So the Bills are good. This is the version of the Bills that scares you, right? Um, two kind of weird weeks in a row for the Bills, the or the Dolphins game, the Ravens game. But they came back and won. They lost one. They come back, win the other. I still think the Bills are the best team in football. I didn't waver on that. I, I know that the loss to Miami was bad. Uh, and I know even starting off slow against Baltimore was bad. But coming out and punching a bad team in the mouth right away, that's uh, what you got to do. It's what you got to do to win games in the NFL. And the Steelers, on the other hand, the Steelers are a really bad football team, just kind of plain and simple. Uh, Matt Canada is a terrible coach. Um, Mike Tomlin's a great coach, but Matt Canada as an offense coordinator is terrible. He was terrible in college. He was terrible as the head coach at Maryland. He's just I, – I, I, there's some guys who I just don't understand how they're holding on to these big-time jobs, guys like Ben McAdoo. Like, why is Ben McAdoo an offensive coordinator in the NFL? Why was Jason Garrett an offensive coordinator after being fired from the Dallas job, right? Uh, and I think Matt Canada is another one. That's just clearly he's in over his head. Clearly he's not the right guy for this position. He's not a guy who should be coaching in the NFL. And Kenny Pickett, rookie quarterback, that's a tough defense to go up on your first day with a bad offensive line. He's out there just trying his best, throwing the ball all over the yard, trying to find something that clicks. Um, and it, Nothing ultimately did. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I just think it's going to be a long year for the Steelers. The good news is, I mean, if you're the Steelers, you're probably going to end up with a top pick. You already used a first-round pick on a quarterback that hopefully you see enough promise from that you're going to hold on to. 
And then you look at, all right, well, if we're at the top of the draft, we can get a difference maker. We can get a Will Anderson. Or we can trade out of it for a team that wants it, and we can get two first-round picks and use that to help rebuild because that's where this team's at. And it, it's a shame because Deontay Johnson's really good. Chase Claypool is good. And George Pickens, the rookie, is really good. So there's Pat Frymuth, the tight end, is good. Three really quality wide receivers, quality tight end. Najee Harris, really good running back who's playing banged up right now, which if I'm the Steelers, I'm probably ending his season sooner rather than later because we're five weeks in. He's already carried the ball a shitload of times, and he's getting just absolutely crushed every time he gets the ball. So protect that asset, the guy you drafted in the first round two years ago, because you guys are not in a position to win. And if you want to keep him long-term and keep him to what he could potentially be, which is a really scary, useful player in the NFL – um, he's not going to do that with a banged up foot with taking another 400 carries to the face, running into giant defensive linemen. That's just not going to happen. Uh, Chargers Browns. This was a fun game. This was a really fun game. Um, the Chargers, I don't, I don't think are that good, but I'll tell you what, a lot of it has to do with the injuries. Um, their defense is still a problem. I think everyone fell in love with some of the additions that they made on the defensive line, the interior guys who look, I, I felt guilty of it too. I was like, Oh look, they got some bigger guys, some new fresh guys. will have a little bit of a rotation on the interior. That'll help with the run game or the run defense. At least hasn't done that yet. Um, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, right. I think that's a pretty solid duo, but when you lose your, you know, pro bowl left tackle Rashawn Slater for the year, that's devastating. Uh, Eckler though, for as slow of a start as he had, and I went through his stats a couple weeks ago with Scotty, really, really good bounce back couple of weeks for him. I think he had like 170 yards on the ground. Massive day for Austin Eckler, who um, might have been 170 all-purpose all yards. But just this is the version of him that fantasy owners love. This is the version of him that um, a lot of people love, which is like get him the ball in space and make things happen. But when you're giving up 28 points to the Browns with Jacoby Brissett, and a lot of it was on the ground, but until that fourth quarter when Brissett threw the interception there at the end, like, Brissett wasn't really playing that bad. If you ask him to go down and, like, win a game by himself, right, and captain a two-minute drill to, to go down put your team in field goal position, you know, that's going to – it's not great, right? It's not going to end up well. Um, even still, the Browns had a chance. They had a chance late, and uh, kicker misses it right. Chargers end up holding on, winning the game. Um, I just don't know really – I'm having a hard time figuring out what the Chargers are without, with, you know, some of the injuries that they've had. No Bosa, who's huge for that defensive line, and definitely makes a difference for them defensively. Um, J.C. Jackson was a nice addition, but a cornerback's only going to help you so much. And the rest of the defense doesn't really look good, and they let Kazir, uh, Kazir White walk for nothing, who's been playing out of his mind for Philadelphia. So – I don't know. Like, I look at a guy like Kazir White, I'm like, hey, th this team could use you. Like, you're flying around the field making tackles, making plays. That's kind of one of the things that the Chargers are missing defensively. And no Bosa again, that hurts. No Slater, that hurts. I think their offense has, like, like, I think they could be in any game if it's a shootout. If they can't get the offense going, even, you know, with Slater being out, like, they can get the offense going. But if they're in one of those games where they're getting hit hard and they don't really have much of a shot, then – I don't know, man. Um, the Chargers, the Chargers might might be in a little bit of trouble here. Bears, Vikings. Uh, next up here, credit to the Bears, man. You know what? That's a team. I mean, obviously, the fumble, the strip fumble play um, by the Vikings there at the end was unbelievable. Was an unbelievable play by the cornerback there, and a. Pretty devastating penalty call on the Justin Fields touchdown run, which was a sick run. This Bears team, I still don't know what they're dealing doing with Justin Fields. I would love to know more um, on the inside part of it as to whether or not there's conversations going on where it's like, hey, we just want to limit, you know, you and we want to use your legs and we want to use the run game. I don't know if he's just not seeing it. The attempts are down. Obviously, the completions are low, but that's also has a lot to do with the attempts themselves. I, there's moments where Justin Fields like flashes this crazy athletic, really, really talented guy. Like I, I look what's happening with like Jalen hurts. Right. And I know Jalen's put in a ton of work to fix his mechanics and to do a bunch of that other stuff. 
I'm sure Justin Fields is putting in a ton of work too. I don't know how much of it's coaching, how much of it is this new coaching staff of Chicago just slowly bringing him along as he's learning things. I don't know how much of it is what Justin Fields ran in college and just how less impressive um, that offense seems behind the scenes as it does when we watch it because everyone's so open all the time. But they're just not letting him throw, right? I mean, the Ohio State offense could be significantly less complicated. Um, but that still doesn't mean that you should limit this guy who's got all the talent in the world to only throwing the ball, you know, 20 times a game. And 15 completions is a step in the right direction compared to what he normally has been doing. Obviously, you want to utilize his athleticism. It's just really surprising to me. Um, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of, uh, I was a big fan of Justin Fields in college. I didn't love him as a pro prospect because there were some little things that you don't have to do in that Ohio State offense. You don't have to make a ton of the anticipation throws. You don't have to fight it through a bunch of windows. You always have the upper hand when you have a, those skill guys going up against Purdue, you know, going up against Northwestern cornerbacks. Like, there's just so much speed and athleticism. And you look at the guys who he was playing with, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, um, Jamison Williams, right, before he transferred to Alabama. Like, those are all guys that Justin Fields played with. And nothing against the Browns. Like, Darnell Mooney's a nice player. Equinemius St. Brown's a solid player. But they don't really have any game changers. And maybe that's part of the reason, too. That they're just like, hey, this is what this gives us the best chance to win. And that's why they're doing this. But the offense is incred- incredibly boring. And yet, they were still in this game. And the Bears were, you know, a, a call away. And, a you know, the strip fumble return away from winning this game, potentially. So, they're a team that, again, I put in that bad category. Like, they're just a bad football team. But at the same time, it says a lot about the coaching staff and the new organ- and the organization, the way it's being run right now, that at least these guys are busting their ass. You know, it- it's really easy to feel defeated like that. Um, but these NFL guys, man, they show up and they play on Sunday. You get 16 or 17 games to, to prove your worth. And, uh, and right now um, – the Vikings or the bears haven't quite gotten it all together. And I don't think they will anytime soon, but credit them for at least fighting the Vikings. On the other hand, sitting at four and one weird four and one team, right? I mean, I don't think they've looked good in any game since week one, every game for them has been close. They had to come back against the lions. Obviously they got the shit kicked out of them by the Eagles. Um, they almost lose this game to the bears and they had the, the, the big win in week one. So uh, I mean, Hey, look, a win's a win. Right. You're never going to apologize for a win. Um, They found a way to come back against New Orleans last week. But I am pretty, pretty confused. I'm confused about the whole NFL. And this is probably terrible insight. And it sounds like I have no idea what I'm fucking talking about. But I swear this is one of the hardest years I can ever figure out who's good and who's not. And the fact that we're five weeks into the season and the only clear answers I have are that Buffalo and Kansas City are really good. And after that, I'm like, Eagles could be really good. I, th- I think the Eagles are really good. At least I know they're pretty. At least I know they're good, right? The Cowboys, I, I think they're good, but also they've done all this with a backup quarterback, and their offense has completely changed because of that. And the defense is really good, but I don't know about the offense. The Giants, I still don't think are good, but they're four and one. So what you know, what can I say to that, right? This is just such a weird year in the NFL, and the Vikings might just be one of those teams that gets by and wins enough games or all of a sudden you see them pop up in the playoffs, you know, as one of the wild card teams or potential. I mean, they're in first place in the division right now. They got a game over the the Green Bay Packers. So who knows? Maybe that week one win against Green Bay may end up being huge for them down the line. But I can't say that I've looked at the Vikings at four and one and said, hey, that's a good football team. I've watched them play and I say, yeah, they're okay. Justin Jefferson's amazing. Dalvin Cook still is really good. Adam Thielen definitely still has some stuff in him, right? Zadarius Smith has been an awesome pickup for them. But I've also seen the Vikings not look good in pretty much every game except for week one. And yet they're 4-1, and one, and they found ways to win close games. And again, at the end of the day, like, yeah, you don't apologize for wins like that. You know, you don't you don't apologize for being 4-1. and one. You take what you got, and you try to get better the next week. And right now the Vikings are rolling. Uh, four and one, even if it's by the skin of their teeth a little bit. Uh, Lions, Patriots here. 
this was a game that was a total stay away for me in terms of bets. I took Detroit because I, I, I took the bait, man. I bit the, I bit into the cheese. I went for it. I thought the lions were going to be better. I thought Dan Campbell was going to be better. They were awful in this game and they didn't have Deandre uh, Swift and, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown only played a handful of snaps, but 29 to nothing after you were the number one offense all year. I mean, I know the Patriots and Belichick have, have scared, you know, Jared Goff's nightmares haunted his nightmares for a while now, ever since that Super Bowl. but like you couldn't get a point. And on the other side too, Damian Harris left this game pretty early for the Pats. So it was Ramondre Stevenson, their offensive line, which isn't particularly good. And Bailey Zappi absolutely dominating this game. I mean, time of possession, line of scrimmage, everything was New England. Defensively, New England was significantly, significantly better. Um, I know the Lions defense isn't great. I know I said this last week about Malcolm Rodriguez. Like I was really pulling because he looked great in in hard knocks. He looked good in the first couple of games. I watched him in the game against the Eagles. He flies around the field. I guess they just don't have the talent. But man, like Dan Campbell, wow. Like I want, I want you to be successful, man. I really do. But God, you can't get blanked to a team as mediocre as New England. Now I know it. Look, it's New England. It's Belichick. I get it. But you can't you can't lose twenty nine to nothing to that Patriots. This isn't Tom Brady. This isn't Teddy Bruschi. This isn't Rodney Harris. All right, hell, they don't even have Devontae Hightower. Right, this is a, this is a, a pretty mediocre Patriots team, talent wise, who just flat out outplayed you. And sometimes that happens in the NFL. Right, they're in guys are in the NFL for a reason. They're good enough to be there. But for a Lions team that's been at least fun and dynamic in every single game offensively. They got absolutely worked. Just mistake after mistake, little things, big things, just completely unprepared, this Lions team. And I hope, I hope that they're able to bounce back. But one and four after the promising start, and then you look back to the game against Minnesota that they probably should have won. Uh, the game against Philly, they damn near almost came back and won. Right? Like Detroit has wins on their on their loss sheet. That they, if they could go back and do one or two little things, you know, they could be three and two right now, but instead they're one and four. And that's just a really hard way to start the season after the promise, the excitement, and the way that they looked through the first few weeks. And now one and four puts them with like the second worst record in the NFL. Actually, I think they might be tied for the worst record now because. The Texans got on the board and they have the tie there. So, yeah, I think the Steelers and the Lions right now, the only teams that, oh, and the Commanders are sitting there at one and four, Panthers two. So there's a few teams in that little uh, in that little window, but none of it, none of it is good. Um, none of it's good, man. Sucks, sucks to be the, uh, the Lions. But what else is new? Um, Bailey Zappi starting a little bit of a QB controversy, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I still like Mac Jones. I still think Mac Jones will get will, will be better. Um, they've just simplified this offense so much for Zappi, and I feel like they should probably go and do similar things here with Mac Jones when he gets back, right? Continue to run the ball as much as they were running it before, and then you can do a little bit more in the passing game with Mac Jones than you could with Bailey Zappi because obviously one's a rookie, first career start. But New England fans are all like Philly fans. And if, if Mac Jones misses another week, he had that high ankle sprain that's usually like a month to get back. So depending on what happens with Mac Jones, if Zappi keeps playing and keeps winning and their schedule in the next like four games is really, really easy. I think they have the Browns, the Jets in there. Um, they should rattle off a couple of wins because it's Belichick, right? Like they're, they're at the very least, they're well coached. The defense is is playing really well, but a lot of that has to do with the scheme stuff, not just you know the skill position guys. I don't think they have a ton of skill guys on that team. Uh, I don't know. The Patriots might end up sneaking away, stealing some wins here, and um, and who knows, right? We could be at that first playoff graphic and in the hunt, New England Patriots. That wouldn't surprise me at all, um, as it probably shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, Saints Seahawks here, Taysom Hill game. 
just doing a million things. He had a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown. I think he recovered a fumble on special teams. Uh, and then the Seahawks on the other side, man, the Seahawks are just, again, continuing to be this fun, weird team. Geno Smith lighting it up still. Like, this game was not lost because of Geno Smith. It's, they lost it because the Seahawks have no defense. But the Saints, you know what? Hey, no Jameis Winston, no real quarterback. Andy Dalton, you're going to play some quarterback. Taysom Hill, you're going to play some quarterback. But you're just gonna, we're just going to put a bunch of shit on the wall and see if anything works. And it actually worked out because this team put up 39 points and if you had told me that Taysom Hill and Andy Dalton would lead a team in the NFL to putting up 40 points, I would have not believed you, not even for a second. And yet they found a way to do it. It's a good win for a Saints team that's not a good football team. Um, I, I'm, I mean, and here's the other thing, too. I think there's at least a chance that they'll win more games with this setup because it's weird and kind of unpredictable and you don't really know what they're going to do. It's not sustainable, but it is weird. And it is going to put teams in kind of a weird spot. Um, whereas Seattle, on the other side there, Gino, um, you know, that defense isn't isn't really particularly good. They lit up the Saints defense, which clearly isn't good. So I look at the Saints and I go, are we sure they're a good football? Are we sure they're even okay? Because I don't think they're good. But I do think how weird this offense is when you have Taysom Hill and Andy Dalton and Alvin Kamara doing some wildcat and you just have no idea what to expect. You'll win more games that way than you would with Jameis Winston. That I I firmly believe that. Seahawks, they're no, they're a weird team, right? Seahawks, Falcons, they're both kind of in that same weird, fun, frisky, just weird team, you know. And they're probably both going to finish with losing records, but they could probably also both get to like seven and ten, you know. They could pull off wins like that. They're going to scare teams. Maybe the the Falcons a little bit less without Cordell Patterson, but we saw what the what the Falcons did against Tampa Bay, right? Where all of a sudden, twenty one nothing. Here come the Falcons in the fourth quarter, and we'll get to that game in a second. But the Seahawks, um, Kenneth Walker Jr. or Kenneth Walker the third, rather, he's good. Uh, Rashad Penny leaves that game with an injury, and and I've never been a huge Rashad Penny fan. At least you know I don't have anything against him. It's just like I just. I know he had a big stretch at the end, and then he had that monster game last week. But for the most part, I was just kind of like, eh, it's Rashard Penny. You know, I know he was a first-round draft pick, but dude always gets hurt. Kenneth Walker is a dude who I loved at Michigan State, and I thought was going to be a really good pro. He breaks off that massive touchdown run uh, to help put the Seahawks, um, you know, in that game in the fourth quarter. Defense just couldn't do enough to slow, you know, to close the door. Um, and the Saints end up – I think they got a turnover there late too, and, and the Saints end up winning that game uh, by a touchdown. Neither one of these teams is going to do much this year. I can pretty comfortably say that. Uh, but both are going to be weird and fun to watch, kind of like the way that this game was. Dolphins, Jets, uh, I mean, look, I'm, there's not much to take away here. As soon as – you know, when, when Skylar Thompson comes into the game, kid out, I think Kansas State, he played Kansas State or TCU – uh, rookie, you're down to your third string quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater leaves this game in the first quarter. Um, there's just not a whole lot there that you're going to hold your hat on. I will say, um, the Jets defense was pretty damn good. And, and I think there is a, there is such a thing as, you know, individual game momentum in, in football where a player gets hurt, right? Your quarterback gets hurt. You're on your third string quarterback. And everyone kind of fakes the like rah rah like no we we got this man like we, we can do it right, but internally they're kind of like yeah do we though? I don't I don't really think man I don't I don't think our third string rookie quarterback is going to be able to come in here and really do much for us. Uh, and so the Jets put it on them late twenty one points in the fourth quarter. I mean this was a nineteen to fourteen game at halftime, and then the Jets came out and made it a nineteen seventeen game. And the Jets ultimately put it away. So the Dolphins hung around there for a while until the fourth quarter. Then they put up a couple touchdowns and it was kind of like, all right, yeah, this is kind of going to be it. But the Jets have had some flashes. I'll say that. I'm not going to put too much stock into the final score. You know, 40 to 17, I don't think is indicative of how this game went. Uh, obviously, if you were a betting man on this game and the Jets were, what, three and a half point favorites coming into this game, uh, you were happy to see them put it on them in the fourth quarter. That cemented your bet. But I'm not, I don't really think there's too much we can take away here from either team really in this game because it was a weird game. Backup quarterback gets hurt, and then you're on to your third-string rookie quarterback. And Miami's defense fought as long as they could, but ultimately 
once they got down by multiple touchdowns in the fourth quarter, you're like, yeah, I, I, I don't see a way that the Dolphins can come back given who's playing quarterback for them in that moment. Um, Falcons, Bucks. I'm not worried about Tampa Bay yet. I'm a, I'm a little worried about Tampa Bay. I've kind of, I've kind of held this like a little bit worried thing with them, right? They're up 21, nothing. They put the foot off the gas in the third quarter and all of a sudden the Falcons come back uh, and, and score. However, the Falcons got absolutely hosed by that roughing the passer penalty. And I can hop on the same bandwagon that everyone else in media is doing today, which is how the hell is that passing or is that roughing the passer? The league's gotten soft. You can't call this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's true. It's a dog shit call. And Tom Brady's the only person in the NFL that's getting that call. But he got the call. Um, that being said, this is now not a, not the first time that we've seen Tampa Bay loosen up a little bit, right? I mean, this Falcons team had no Kyle Pitts, no Cordero Patterson. It's, it was Marcus Mariota scrambling around, running for his life, and making a couple plays downfield. They get the two-point conversion. And now you're sitting there going, hey, you know what? Like, the Falcons have a chance to do this. They get the big sack on what was going to be third down. Falcons are going to get the ball back. The flag absolutely killed them. And it's very rare that I'll ever look at a game and be like, hey, the ref called that one. And even with this, right, I can't sit here and blame the refs and say, hey, the refs are the ones that beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The, the You know, the Falcons – or they beat the Falcons. The Falcons had every chance in the first half of this game, right? They played bad through three quarters. And when you try to put the offense on and if you try to make the big comeback in the fourth quarter and you don't get it, you had three quarters to do something about it before then. And while the call sucks and they absolutely got hosed and it should have happened and the Falcons should have had a chance late to go down and try to score a touchdown to win the game, it happened, right? But again, this goes to why this Falcons team is kind of fun and frisky and weird because they came back against the Rams. They came back against Tampa Bay, right? That's two of their three losses right there. And the game against uh, New Orleans early in the season, they should have won that game too, right? So all three of the losses for Atlanta are games that they could have and or should have won if a couple things break differently. Falcons are not a bad football team. Arthur Smith has that team really well coached, uh, and hopefully they get you know Cordell back and um, Kyle Pitts back, and they can finally start to use Kyle Pitts. But Tampa Bay, I am a little worried. The offense doesn't look great. Mike Evans is, is doing a lot for Tom Brady like he's like he is carrying such a big load Chris Godwin made a couple of nice plays it's good to have him back but he still just doesn't look 100% since coming off the injury uh Julio Jones whenever he plays it's not going to be some big role beater not having the tight end safety valve I mean that's essentially what Leonard Fournette has turned into is just the safety valve nothing's there Tom Brady dumps it down into the flat and hopes that you know Fournette can do something to get into the end zone but it's not it's not cohesive, right? It feels like they're holding on for dear Mike to win every single game offensively, which with Tom Brady, I mean, that's not something we've seen in a while for him. I think the last time we saw that was the year that they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, which I know was only a couple of years ago, but you still had a really, really elite level defense by the Patriots that year. And you had Tom Brady who was able to kind of hold things together, but he still had Gronk. They still had other things working around in that offense. Um, they just weren't quite fully cohesive yet at that point. Uh, Titans commanders, Carson Wentz, brutal interception there at the end. And you know what? I don't even really fault Washington or or Carson Wentz all that much on that throw. He made a pretty decent throw. It was on the back shoulder. It was protected because he had the cornerback on his left shoulder. So he threw it back shoulder on the quick slant. He actually made a pretty good throw. He didn't see the linebacker come over who made an unbelievable, unbelievable play to ice that game. I think that was either third and goal or fourth and goal. It was going to be one of the, I think it was like nine seconds left on the clock. Um, Unbelievable play by the linebacker to lay out, make that catch, make that play happen. Uh, Really, really impressed with what I saw um, from Tennessee. And this goes back to Tennessee, not being impressive in terms of, Oh my God, they're beating teams by a million. They're just winning ugly, close games, you know, and, they again arguably could if if Randy Bullock kicks the field goal in week one, this team's four and one, right? If he doesn't miss the field goal as time expires, Tennessee is four and one, and none of it has looked pretty. They still got the shit kicked out of them by Buffalo by 30 points on Monday Night Football, right? In week two. So this Tennessee team is not some world beater, but they find ways to win ugly close games, which is why 
they're going to be the team that's there at the end of the season in the AFC South. They're going to be the team that holds on. They're probably going to be nine and eight or ten and seven. They're going to be right around that side because yes, this Tennessee is going to lose. This Tennessee team is going to lose a bunch of games too. But after starting off zero and two, winning three in a row, getting yourselves back, the Jaguars don't look good. The Texans don't look good. The Colts don't look good. It seems like it's going to be Tennessee's division to lose. We'll see where it goes for the Commanders. Not much to say. Not much to say. It's a bad football team. It's a bad football team. It sucks that Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson are going to be wasted. Uh, and I think the the the, uh, the watch has started when it comes to when is Ron Rivera going to be fired. I think the stopwatch is is rolling here. And and I love Ron Rivera. I think everyone in the NFL loves Ron Rivera. Um, obviously, his story beating cancer, everything was crazy. But it's just the dude's not winning. And the stuff with like Montez Sweat taking off his jersey before the game ends and doing a jersey swap so then he couldn't go back onto the field later in the game. It was weird. It was just a weird – you get weird vibes from that organization. And a lot of that has to do with ownership. Starts with Dan Snyder and Tanya Snyder at the top and kind of works its way down. But the commanders are not in a great spot. And I think this will definitely be the last time, the last year at least, that Carson Wentz gets a chance. I'm sure someone will try to keep him around as a backup. Um, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see Carson Wentz in the NFL for all that much longer because the dude just look. He like I said about the thing with him and Russ. Like, yeah, he was throwing deep balls that were awesome, and he can still pull that out. And there's still moments where you're like, oh, the arm strength and the some of the stuff he can do physically, you're entranced by. But it was always kind of like a sliding scale, like or, or you know maybe a, a chart is a better example here. But you would always take how inconsistent he would be with the big plays, right? It's like, all right, well, you know what? He made a couple bad decisions, but he made X amount of good throws and big plays, and he won us the game. And as long as that number, that ratio, was always more on the good play side, you you would take it. And now it's like you see one or two throws a game that Carson looks really good, and the rest of it is pretty bad. And I don't think I'm the only one that would say, especially Commanders fans, I think Taylor Heineke is a better option at quarterback right now than Carson Wentz. He's just going to be more consistent. He's going to get the ball out on time where it's supposed to be. He's going to make dumb Taylor Heineke plays because that's what Taylor Heineke does. But at this point, Carson Wentz is a problem on your team. If he's your starting quarterback, it's a problem. Texans-Jaguars. This game was gross. Very, very gross game. Um, but shout out to the Texans, man. Texans found a way to win. Uh, Damian Pierce had 17 forced missed tackles running the football. It's the most that PFF has ever had in a game since they've been tracking it. The most forced missed tackles by a running back ever, uh, happened in this game with Damian Pierce. And that run at the end of the game was very much like, uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch, you know, the, the, the quake six or whatever they call it, the, the, the earthquake run in Seattle where he's just breaking guys off, dragging people with one leg, almost got into the end zone, and then they were eventually able to punch it in. The Jaguars looked like a broken team in this game. Now, again, I don't know if this is a conference thing or a divisional thing because the Jags haven't beaten the Texans in, I think, nine straight games. So that's going back almost five years now that the Texans have lost. Um uh, the Texans have beaten the Jaguars consecutively. So it could just be a weird matchup. And then it could also be that, hey, they got kind of challenged by the Eagles after blowing a 14-0 lead. And that's something that can stick in the team's mind for a little while. And how how quickly they bounce back from that says a lot. Trevor Lawrence regressed a lot in this game. He did not look good throwing the football. He had the skittish feet again. Um, I don't know. Maybe we were too quick to to anoint the Jags after they blew out the Chargers and had a couple wins there early on. But right now, it's hard to watch what we saw from the last two weeks, from the second quarter on for the Jaguars in the last seven quarters that they've played and think, oh, yeah, that's a team that, that should win the AFC South. Like we were saying two weeks ago going into the Eagles game, we were like, yeah, no, this team should win the AFC South. They look like the best team. And that's why we try not to pass too much judgment early on because we have no idea. So far with the Jaguars, we've seen them look like a team that could be a playoff team. We've seen them look like a team that could draft top five in the draft next year. Which version is there? It's probably somewhere in the middle. 
probably going to end up being somewhere in the middle. I expect them to have a better bounce back. They're still going to have a relatively easy schedule moving forward, at least on the easier side. But yeah, that was a bad, that was a bad loss for, for this Jaguars team and a great win for the Texans one, three and one. Um, but I don't think we'll see too many of those from the Texans this year. Uh, the four o'clock window, we had Niners Panthers. Um, Matt rule got fired today. We learned, I was really wrong about that hiring. I really liked Matt Rule. I loved him at Baylor. I thought that was going to be a really, really good hire. I thought he was going to do well in the NFL, and I was completely wrong. Um, he looked stale, antiquated, never really looked like he. it made sense with him there, um, especially with Tepper, the new owner there. He wanted to bring in something spicy, something interesting. You know, Matt Rule, this is part of the problem with college coaches, right? Even if you bring in a Chip Kelly type, right, someone who's innovative and, and smart and and runs these crazy offenses, right, you're you're bringing his system as much as you're bringing the person. And then sometimes when you bring a college coach to the NFL, you're bringing the person, right? That's what people always want to say with like Pat Fitz, uh, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern or Matt Campbell at Iowa State, and that's why people are like, oh, these guys they get calls from the NFL all the time. They're being recruited to be the the person. Right. Matt Rule was was recruited to the NFL, hired by the NFL because of him as a person. And I think what we've learned is way more often than not, that doesn't work. Anyone from college doesn't really work. Right. You might get away with kind of the innovative college head coach. Right. Like if a Lincoln Riley ever wanted to go, Chip Kelly, guys like that. Um, you can get away with it because the football will be that good. But teams will come up with ways to stop it over time. But these college coaches, they're the biggest part. They're, they're mayors. They're kings in these small college towns. They make millions and millions of dollars. They recruit kids constantly. They have full auton auton uh, autonomy over the entire program. You know, the old, you know, they want if they're going to cook, let me buy the groceries kind of thing, which guys in the NFL don't have the luxury of doing. You really have to be a specific type of personality type. And I don't think that modern college coaches translate well to the NFL anymore. Maybe with the NIL stuff, it will, because at least you'll get a taste of like the, hey, this is what NIL is, how NIL is affecting college locker rooms kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't. I, I don't think this, this is going to work out well um, in the long run for most college coaches trying to make that adjustment. And we saw that with Matt Rule, who phenomenal college head coach, built an awesome program at Temple, did an unbelievable job at Baylor. He gets to the NFL – it's clear. It's just everything about it looks stale. He hired bad people to be around. I mean, cut the firing of Joe Brady, I thought was so weird last year after only, what was it, like 10 or 11 games. Now he's the quarterback's coach and the, and the passing game coordinator for um, the Buffalo Bills, and we're seeing how well that's working out, right? There's a lot of smart names, smart guys, young, innovative dudes. Bringing in Ben McAdoo to be your offensive coordinator, that's not going to work. It's just not. And I think for whatever reason, it might just be the trend with college coaches. It might be the way that college coaches live their life. But when you bring them from college to the NFL, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. And even though I liked Matt Rule a lot, I think this is going to be the last time that I trust a college coach making that jump. Even somebody like Matt Rule, who seems to fit the bill, even if it's a Pat Fitzgerald eventually, or even if it's a Matt Campbell eventually, they might be great guys with great reputations who are unbelievable college coaches. I think it's incredibly difficult to make that transition to make it work. And for him, it did not work. Uh, the Niners absolutely destroyed them on offense, on defense. D'Amico Ryans, absolute stud. The Niners, they look like a Super Bowl contender. They look like one of the best teams in the NFC, right? Four, or is it now? Two and oh, with Jimmy G as the starter. Um, yeah, I don't know. Or is it three and two and one? I don't know. I think I forget. Was he starting in the game against Denver? He might have been. This is why I need this is why I need Vito and Scotty here, man. Um, but yeah, we will we will see what happens with the Niners moving forward. They're a really good football team. The defense is awesome, man. The defense is freaking awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, 22 point blowout. The Panthers. Whew. I feel bad for Baker. I feel bad for DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey and all these guys who I actually think are, are pretty good players. I mean, obviously C-Mac is and DJ Moore is. Baker, I still think, 
if Baker goes to New Orleans, right, or goes to a place where at least he's going to have better coaching involved um, and not Ben McAdoo as his offense coordinator, I think Baker could have done better this year. But this will probably end up being the thing that kills Baker's career, at least as a starter, uh, which that's the one thing, right, in the NFL. It's not always about the player. It's about the situation. In fact, more often than not, it's about the situation, not the player. Right. If you looked at the three quarterbacks um, at, at Oklahoma from Lincoln Riley, Baker, Kyler, Jalen Hurts, right? Obviously, all three of them were really, really good in college, but Jalen was widely considered to be the worst of those three. And Baker was pretty much considered to be the best. I mean, at least him and Kyler both were in that same level. And now we've seen both of them, you know, kind of struggle in the NFL. Kyler's had his moments, but down in, down out, Kyler hasn't been great. So, uh, speaking of that, let's stick with the Oklahoma quarterbacks there. We'll talk about the Eagles and the Cardinals um, hard fought win for the Eagles blew a 14 point lead early. Uh, they never let the Cardinals get ahead. So at the, at the worst, they did tie it. Um, and the Cardinals did come down with a chance to kick a field goal at the end, 43 yards, Kyler, the, the sliding early thing, man, you can't do that. Uh, this is the now look, obviously like we're 24 hours removed from the game. I've calmed down a little bit from how frustrated I was watching that game earlier. Um, but Kyler or uh, the Eagles defense statistically is awesome. And I talked about this a lot last year with my frustrations with, with Jonathan Gannon and the numbers are off the charts. So when you look at them, it's hard, to, it's hard to argue with, but the eyeball test, this is one of the rare times I think the eyeball test actually tells me a lot. And it's not to say that the Eagles defense isn't good. It's just to say that in situations in close games, they scare the shit out of me. Um, this playing 10 yards off the ball, keep everything in front of you, the shell defense, which is all from the the um uh oh, who was the old the, the coach of the of the Broncos, uh, v, uh Vic Fangio. This is like one of his defensive, you know, tools, right? And the Eagles have so much talent on that defense, particularly in the secondary. And they keep everything in front of them. And all that Arizona was doing with just these quick slants. I mean, Kyler completed like 10 quick slants, had more, had a ton of screens. Uh, anytime he wanted to pull it and run, it was an easy seven yards. The Cardinals in the second half of that game were just picking the Eagles apart. And not once did Jonathan Gannon adjust and say, hey, you know what? We have two really, really good cornerbacks. Let's go man-to-man. Darius Slay versus Hollywood Brown. Let's play a little press man. We'll give you some safety help over the top, but let's keep them closer to the line of scrimmage. So at least someone's going to be there that Kyler doesn't have to, you know, pick up five yards with his feet without even having to really try or that they can't just bubble screen it or dump it out in the flat or run a quick slant completely underneath it where there's no one within four or five yards of it. That's not going to be sustainable. And I do think the Eagles defense is good. I do think they have good players. But it was the lack of adjusting from Gannon in that game yesterday that was really, really bothering me. Um, the other side of that, though, Jalen, like Jalen didn't have his best day ever, but multiple third down and 10-plus yard situations, Jalen made unbelievable plays. And that, to me, is is so telling because, again, this offense has found ways to do it differently every single game. They didn't throw the ball particularly well. They ran 14 fucking screen passes yesterday, which was dragging me up a wall. But every time they threw it over the middle, they had a guy open. They threw to A.J. Brown three times on the opening drive, did not target him once again the rest of the game. That cannot happen. And I don't, I, again, I, I've yet to be able to go and fully rewatch the game. But from the clips and stuff I've seen, they weren't hardcore double teaming A.J. Brown the whole time because you can't do that in this offense. They just were not throwing him the ball. I like that they got Quez involved. I like that Devontae had another big day. Dallas Goddard had another big day, right? So not every game is going to be a huge game for A.J. Brown. I get that. But the fact that you didn't target him again after the first drive, that's a problem. Um, the running game was okay, right? Miles Sanders, when they gave him the ball, he did pretty well. Kenny Gamewell looked pretty go good at a, uh, a couple opportunities there. But I would have liked to have seen um, – more to A.J. Brown, I think, if you're the Eagles right now. Uh, the rest of it, though, again, Jalen Hurts made big throws and big plays when they absolutely needed him to. And if you do that, that's going to win you football games. And ultimately, they won a close game that was ugly. And there are going to be games like this that are just close and ugly, even to a team that you should beat like Arizona. They found a way to do it. And they're 5-0, and and you don't apologize for 5-0. and 
Arizona's just been the continuous same story as they were from last year, at least in the second half, right? Slow offense in the beginning. Kyler scrambles, runs around, finds something, gets him back in at the end. And then the end of the games are always crazy. Uh, the kicker makes it and they win. Um, Kyler makes an unbelievable throw. They go to overtime, a million things like the game against the Raiders, right? Uh, for the most part, though, I don't know. I, I guess, I, I mean, Kyler had a bad interception early. Uh, other than that, he used his legs a little bit more, which was nice to see for Arizona fans. Uh, Hollywood Brown actually starts looked pretty good. Like, I have to give credit where credit's due. He clearly wasn't being used as well as he could have in Baltimore. Um, and him and Kyler have a really, really good connection. Uh, so we'll see. It's uh, it's an interesting, interesting team, but I don't think they're particularly good. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say that. You know, I think the Cardinals are the you know in that bottom class of teams, but sitting at you know two and three with multiple potential wins and games that also could have been losses on their schedule to or on their you know win loss record so far. I don't know. I'm uh I'm cautiously pessimistic. I'll put it that way. Like, I'm like, I don't think they're good, but Kyler Murray still can do some stuff where you're like, damn, that dude is, is fucking special. And he's not fun for your team to play against because you know he can just tuck it and run. He's so quick. He's so quick when he decides to put his foot down and jump and, and take up those yards. Cowboys and Rams. Uh, the Rams, man, the Rams don't look good. Uh, they haven't looked good in a while. Sitting at two and three. I thought the Rams would do a better job in defending the title than they have. I know the offensive line's been really bad. Micah Parsons obviously had, uh, and Demarcus Lawrence both had um, some big moments in that game. The the fumble return for the touchdown kind of set the tone for this game. The Rams broke off one big touchdown pass, and that was to Cooper Cup, but no points in the second half. More turnovers. Offensive line couldn't block. Stafford looks hurt, banged up. Just doesn't look good. Uh, Allen Robinson has not, again, no separation from him, no running game. Uh, and, and the way that they're doing it too, like, I think I saw Daryl Henderson was in on 36 offensive snaps and he had zero carries and Cam Akers was in for 12 <laughs> and had, and had, I think 10 carries for the 12 snaps that he was in there. So when Cam Akers in the game, they're running the football. When Daryl Henderson's in the game, they're not. You're you're tipping your hand to the defense pretty obviously there. Um, I talked a little bit at this Cowboys team. Again, really, really good defensively. I don't think the secondary is all that good because – but the pass rush has been really, really good. So that makes a big difference. When the pass rush is really, really good, you're getting those sacks. You're, you're putting pressure on it. The secondary doesn't have to play lights out. You know, Trayvon Diggs, he's been fine. He hasn't been anywhere close to the guy he was last year when everyone thought he was like, oh, this is the best corner in the NFL. It's like, no, he's still going to get burnt from time to time. But I was really impressed that the Rams, uh, what they did defensively against the Rams, which maybe the Rams just aren't that good. You know, maybe the Rams are just a 500 team or a 10 and seven type team. I, I think they're better than what we've seen so far. I'm, I'm really surprised. I know they've been banged up in the secondary, which doesn't help. Um, that defensive line doesn't scare you like it did with Von Miller. Maybe, And as it turns out, that Von Miller contract and losing him and the trade they made for him, you know, halfway through last season ended up being a pretty big trade. Ended up being a pretty massive, massive deal for the Rams and changed how dynamic that defensive line could be because Aaron Donald can do a lot and can wreck games by himself, but can't do everything. And he had a couple of those game record plays yesterday, busting up the middle, had a couple of sacks against Cooper Rush, but. Aaron Donald can't do everything. Jalen Ramsey can't do everything. Bobby Wagner's still good, but he's not Bobby Wagner of old. You know, everyone looked at his tackle total last year and been like, oh man, he had 120 something tackles last year. Bobby Wagner, what a steal. Yeah, Bobby Wagner's a really good football player, but he's not, he's not what he once was. And uh I think if you're if you're a Rams fan, you gotta be worried. I, I there's not a whole lot to like from what we've seen out of these teams, uh, out of this team so far this year. And Defending your title is tough. You're getting every team's best punch every single week. Uh, and so far, the Rams have not handled that well. Bengals, Ravens, Justin Tucker kicks a game winner uh, to beat the Bengals 19-17. Not surprising at all. Um, I will say, though, this was a pretty classic AFC North football game. The under hit, the first half under, I think hit 
Got to double check what that was. That was Scotty's prop bet. Um, Vito and I were both on Cincinnati there. So thank you, Justin Tucker, because, um, well, the kick, even though Cincinnati lost, they did cover the three, which will take 10 times out of 10. And Baltimore found a way to win an ugly game. I mean, Baltimore sitting at three and two, Bengals are two and three. The AFC North, I think it's going to come down to these two teams. T. Higgins missed pretty much this entire game, got banged up early. Did not end up coming back. And when it's just Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and Samaji P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, like that's not enough with how bad this offensive line is. And when the Bengals have their full offensive unit out there, the offensive line isn't as much of a problem because Joe Burrow can make plays and can get the ball to his guys. But I say this is a bigger win for the Ravens defense, who through the first four weeks of the season looked really up and down, right? At moments, they looked awesome. In the, in the rain game last week against Buffalo, they looked so good in the fir- er, in the second half uh, after in the first half, or reverse that. They looked so good in the first half, looked bad in the second half. Um, they've just been up and down. And this was like the first complete game that the Baltimore defense came out and played, 17 points to Joe Burrow and a good offense. The Bengals, they're definitely struggling a little bit. The defense isn't great. The defense flat out just isn't great. But I do think the Bengals as a whole – still have the upside because of the quarterback, because of the skill guys they have on offense. Um, But, hey, they held the Ravens to only 19 points and 16 through the first, you know, 40 or through the first 57 minutes of this game um, or 59 and 57 seconds. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird game. Uh, Sorry for the boys being out. Uh, I did want to get something out for you guys because I didn't want to leave you guys hanging here. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday. We'll do a full breakdown pod. Shout out to JMU once again. Top 25. Five games into our FBS career, and we are in the top 25. Uh, I don't know if if we're the first team to ever do that, but I'd be hard-pressed to believe that anyone else has done it before. So go Dukes. Go Birds. um, And we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Everyone have a great week. Take it easy, everybody.